Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's Adult Bible Studies. We continue our series about being difference makers. This is week five of six, and this week we talk about how compassion makes a difference. Let's get started. Take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Familiar passage. I'm going to read a verse from Jude first here in just a second. But we've been in this series called Difference Makers. And I just believe as I think about, as I look at our society that we are desperate for difference makers. And I don't think our difference makers are going to be politicians or sports stars or anything like that. I think the difference needs to be started in our churches, in our homes, and through us. We can be difference makers. And so we've looked at some words or some attitudes that surround difference makers. We've talked about being genuine. If we are going to make a difference, we've got to be genuine. I opened this series with a $500 bill that was Monopoly money. And I said that that uh, that Monopoly money was not going to make a difference for my daughter when I was handing it to her because no one's going to take it. No one's going to believe it. No one's going to accept that it's not real. And if we really want to make a difference, we've got to be genuine in our salvation. You can play church and not be saved, but the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. And we talked about being genuine in our salvation, but then a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. Not everybody that's saved follows Christ as they should. Not really every, not everybody's a disciple. Um, and I'd hope and pray that those who are here, you choose to come an hour early to church to go into a class that you desire to follow Christ and to make a difference. But then week two, we talked about being a doer. If we're going to make a difference, we've got to be active, not waiting on others to do it. We don't sit back and just point and say, well, I really hope they can make a difference. Or I think with their, with their influence in the community, they can make a difference. Or with their family, they can. No, we, we don't want to sit back and point fingers. We want to be a doer. The Bible says to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. We talked about difference makers are doers. But then in week three, we said we've got to be dependent. Because even if we decide we're going to be a doer, our abilities are limited because we are human and we have limits. But the Bible tells us to be relying upon God's strength to accomplish what we cannot accomplish. And who did we look at that week in the Bible? Does anybody remember the character? Who accomplished something? Well, there's a lot of them. But who accomplished a giant task? David. There we go. Very good. He wasn't here somehow in the questioning and how I worded that. It just really fit for him. But uh, David conquered a giant, not in his own strength, but in God's strength. And he even gave that credit right out front. He said, it's not going to be me. He said, God helped me kill a lion. God helped me kill a bear. God will help me with this. And we need God's strength. So we need to be dependent doers. And then last week, we talked about being steadfast. If you determine, I think in the next couple of weeks as we leave here, say, you know what, I do want to make a difference. And I'm not going to be one of those, uh, I'm, not, I'm not against being a dreamer in a sense. Joseph was a dreamer. But it, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying at the end of this class, leave here saying, I'm going to be the person that changes this world. No, I'm, I'm, I really think we need to start by saying, hey, I want to make a difference in my spouse's life. I want to make a difference in my kid's life. I want to make a difference in this church. And that will allow us to make a difference, it, that difference to take off. So today, today's word that we're going to discuss is actually the only word that is tied with the phrase in the Bible, the only phrase 
when it says making a difference, and that is in Jude, and I'm just going to read this verse to you, Jude 22, it says, and if some have compassion, there's our word, and if some have compassion, making a difference. This is the only time making a difference is used in the Bible, and it says that it's this compassion that we show towards others that can make a difference. It's an interesting time for this interesting word, an interesting phrase in the Bible, and we live in a time period when people are showing less and less compassion one toward another. There's a lot of divide, a lot of anger, and not a lot of compassion. I was reading, and I, I don't really want to read this paragraph. I may have to, but I was, in light of All-Star Weekend, I, I read a while back about this story. It kind of amazed me of this, this young man named Christopher, I think it's Circe, and he was playing basketball with his friends back on May 16, 1998. Think about where you may have been May 16, 1998. I think it was like a junior in high school or something like that. But uh, May 16, 1998, he got shot in the chest while playing basketball. It says that the bullet perforated his aorta. And his friends helped him. They got him within 40 feet of the hospital, the entrance there at Ravenswood Hospital. And then they, they couldn't get him any farther. They ran inside and asked for help. And according to the report, the hospital staff refused to help him, saying that it was against the hospital's policies to administer aid to those outside of the hospital. So they, were look, they, they could see 40 feet over and see this guy who's been shot in the chest and he's struggling. But they had a policy that said we cannot do it. I understand policies, and I'm not trying to get into all the politics of it, but I understand that you have to have policies. But they saw the need and chose to say, we're just going to leave him there. So a policeman, eventually a policeman came, was able to get a wheelchair. They wheeled him into the hospital, the extra 40 feet, and now the staff was able to help him, but he died an hour later. And I think the reason I open with that story is many times I feel like churches are surrounded by people that desperately need help. They need the gospel. They need an encouraging word. Yet sometimes we're only content to share with people within our church. We're only, we're only comfortable talking to people within our church. And then even that, sometimes it breaks down to a few people within our church. While there's people not even 40 feet, maybe, outside these doors that need help. They need the gospel. And sometimes the greatest difference that we can make in someone's life outside of these walls is just an act of compassion just an act of compassion it, it may it's it may not even be that we stand there in front of them and share the gospel at first it may be we rake their leaves it may be we shovel their sidewalks it may be we pay for their meal it may be we buy their girl scout cookies it may just be some small act of compassion. Maybe we drive them somewhere when they don't have a car that's running. It, may, it, it could be anything, but it's an act of compassion. But sometimes we get the wrong mindset as, as Christians that the only way I'm going to make a difference in that life is right now, right this moment, I'm sharing the gospel with him. But in that moment, though it's the greatest thing that he needs, that may not be the thing that God wants you to do in that moment. Okay, you can always come back and say, God always wants you to witness. Yes, but it may just be weird when they're laying there bleeding out to say, hey, can I share with you the gospel when you really just need to get them to the hospital? 
Okay, so I'm using an extreme illustration to say the thing that may get them to open up to the gospel is your act of compassion. And then back in Jude, he says, and some have compassion, making a difference. The very next verse, and it says, and I, I think I actually have a bookmark, I might as well just say it right. Because the next verse, he says, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So he's in the context of saying, talking about changing people's lives for eternity, but compassion makes a difference. Now we're going to get to Luke chapter 10 here in just a second, but what is compassion? Compassion is a, it's, it's a mix, it means mixed passion. It's a combination of two words. If you were to try to define compassion, it's really a mixture. It's a combination of two words. It's the combination of the word love. So if you mix in some love and you mix in sorrow. Those two words give us the word compassion. Sorrow is ultimately concerning for a soul when it comes to the sake of the gospel. There's a sorrow there for, for the lost and dying world. It could be a sorrow for a situation that's going on. We, we talked about Marge Kylie today. I've grown up with the Kylies and I just think about them. So there's a sorrow in my heart, but it's mixed with the love there for them that I've known. That's compassion. But Compassion is love and sorrow mixed together. Sorrow ultimately the concerning of our soul. But love is love means you love them enough that you're going to sacrifice to build a relationship to eventually share the truth. That's love. Love is always a sacrificial giving of myself. So in our illustrations that I've given so far this morning, it may be that I sacrifice time to rake leaves because I have sorrow over their soul. I, and I have a love in my heart that's willing to sacrifice my time and rake a leaf so that maybe one day God opens a door to share the gospel. Compassion. I, uh, I think of one man one time that I was working with, and uh, he was, in his words, atheist. I wasn't working with him. I was talking to him, and I, his young daughter was friends with my daughters at the time when they were young. And uh, all I, I never... At the first few times, just because of how I knew he was, I just never really attacked him with the gospel. But you know what I did? I played basketball with him. I didn't let him win, but I played basketball with him. I took this guy, and we'd go, we'd go play. He was, I knew he was into sports. I'd talk sports with him, and I'd take him to go play. I would drive him a few times. He needed help go do a th few things. I went to do a few things, invited him to dinner. Next thing you know, he said, what time's your church service start? He knew I was a pastor at the time. And I told him what time our church service started. He came to church. He heard me preach the gospel. Didn't get saved. Three months, he came to that church. Three months, he played basketball with me. Three months, I tried to do acts of compassion. He never got saved. And then another preacher came in. I think it was Brian McBride, actually. But another preacher came in, preached the gospel, and guess what? He got saved. And he began to, but it all started, I didn't, it didn't start out by me saying, hey, you're an atheist, huh? Come here, come here, let's talk. Let's, let's just duke it out right now. It didn't start there. It started with just trying to break down the walls. And he said some words about my kids and, and me later. And he said, I saw that your love for me, even though you knew I didn't love your God. And he said something, and I'm paraphrasing what he said there. And, uh, and it, it was just a neat story. I don't know where, where he's at now because I'm not there. But it was trying to build a relationship. And so in this lesson, we're going to see in, in Luke chapter number 10, 
we're going to see a familiar story. Notice what it says in verse number 25. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempting him, that's Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. Go, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That's the context. This guy was trying to trip up Jesus, and he knew a little bit of the law. He, and so he's... He, saying to Jesus, Jesus said, well, what do, you, what do you think? What do you read when you read the law? And he said, well, love the Lord thy God with the heart, soul, and mind, and the neighbors thyself. Then this guy really trying to justify, said, I don't even know who my neighbor is. Who's my neighbor supposed to be? And then Jesus gives this familiar story, this, this story that even the secular world knows. They name hospitals after it, about the Good Samaritan. They have projects called the Good Samaritan. Name it after that few verses, and then he comes to the story. He says in verse 30, Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, this is a great spot for it to say, and he had compassion. I mean, what do we know about priests? In the Bible times, they were the ones that, in the end, we're going to get to the Levite here in a second, but they were religious leaders. So you would think he's going to say that he had compassion on him, but it says, and he departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there was a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. So this guy walked a little closer, looked at him, and passed by. On the other side. We'll come back. But notice these two religious leaders. They, they've, they've looked upon the man. They've seen him. One just, hey, no. The priest said, I'm not even getting close to that. I don't want any part of that action. The Levite at least looked on him. May, I don't know what was going through their minds. Maybe they were thinking, well, you know what? We've spent a long day in the temple. We've, been, we've done our part. We've done our service to God. I was there all day with these sacrifices. I've served you, God. I don't have time for this right now. Trying to get back to the missus. I don't know what was on his mind, but he didn't. Maybe he was thinking, it's not my fault. This guy got himself into a mess. How many times have I thought that about people? Well, you got yourself into that mess. I may not say it to him. It doesn't sound nice, but I'll think it. Well, that's the consequences. That's what you get. Maybe he thought to this guy, well, it's, he got himself into a mess, even though this guy didn't, but he didn't stop to ask. Maybe they just thought, well, let somebody else do it. Maybe the priest thought, saw the Levite coming and said, I'll just let him take care of it. I'm going to keep going. Maybe we, they push it on down to somebody else. And all these are just obviously not into the story, but they're, they're things that we say sometimes. Well, maybe someone else would deal with it. Or, you know, someone else that's better at speaking can talk to that person or you know, they're just, they're too hard, or they're just an atheist, or they don't, they don't care, it's never going to happen. There's all kinds of excuses, but compassion is what we're looking for. Because the Bible says compassion makes a difference. But then we have another guy. It says, verse 33, but a certain Samaritan. What do we know about Samaritans? Let's get you guys involved real quick. 
if you want to be involved. You don't have to. What do we know about Samaritans? How did they and the Jews get along? Not well. They were a mix, weren't they? They were Gentile and Jew. They had a Gentile mom, maybe, or a Jewish dad, or vice versa. They were a mix. They, they, didn't like, they didn't like them. They didn't like them at all. And so, first off, when I just read that the Samaritan was walking by, and there was a Jew laying on the ground bleeding out, the Samaritan had probably the best excuse of all of them so far. Right? I mean, I'm not saying this is a good excuse, but he had the best excuse. I don't like Jews and they don't like me. So they Jews don't like us so much that the, you remember that story in John chapter number four. This was the best, the fastest way to get to where Jesus needed to go, a straight line. And the Jews were surprised, the, the, the disciples that were with him, because usually they would go all the way around to get to that place to avoid Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. So this Samaritan had every excuse. He could have just looked over, saw he was a Jew, and thought, eh, you don't like me, I don't like you. See you later. But he didn't do it. He could have said, he's, as far as we know, reading this, this Samaritan wasn't a, a religious person. By that I mean he wasn't one that worked in the temple or anything. So he could have just said, hey, let the, let the religious people deal with this. It's not my responsibility. He had some excuses, but it says this, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had, there's our word, compassion on him. And he went to him, even though they had some prejudice, and bound up his wounds, even though he didn't know where they came from. Pouring oil and wine, where do you think he got that oil and wine? He didn't, I don't think he got it off the guy that was hurt. I think he had his own oil and wine. So he took his own stuff, sacrifice, that's love, and set, it on him, set him on his own beast. So what does that mean? You probably weren't bringing two beasts. So if you put him on a beast, what's that mean you got to do? It means you got to walk. Set him on a beast and brought him to an inn. Well, how is he going to pay for it? You're going to have to pay for it. Took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, his own money, and gave them to the host and said, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him? Notice how Jesus worded that, was, un, was neighbor unto him. It's like it's a verb now, was neighbor, was neighborly, was kind unto him that fell among the thieves. This Samaritan, not a religious leader, had every excuse in the world, but he stopped what he was doing to show compassion to this man. That's what, there's a phrase I wrote down in my notes here about it being an interruption. Do you like interruptions? I'm not a big, I don't like interruptions. And it's just sometimes in, if you're in the middle of something, I've read one time that if you're in the middle of doing something, you're really focused and you get interrupted, it takes you like three minutes to get back into that focus day if it's everything goes perfect. And so sometimes I'll joke when I'm working, I'll, I'll walk into someone's office and I'm working, I'm saying, I know I'm interrupting you, it's going to take you about three minutes to get back into it, but I need to ask this question. And, uh, and I can see they're really focused, but it happens to me. And interruptions come in life and sometimes we just brush them off, sometimes we get in the flesh and you get frustrated or whatever. But here was a divine interruption in this man's life. And it makes me wonder how many times do God have, does God have some interruptions in our lives that are divine interruptions? 
Or God crosses our paths with someone that needs compassion and we just walk by on the other side. Now because of the illustrations I've used, a man shot in the chest and then the Good Samaritan laying there after he's been beaten and and stolen, that can be in our mindset. But that doesn't mean that that's what it is. Compassion could be something where someone is not even hurting. Like I've said in the opening illustrations, it could be just an elderly person next to you that can't rake their leaves. It could be opening the door for someone and starting a conversation. It could be a variety of things. What I'm kind of getting at today is, is our heart filled with compassion? Do we even look to the needs? Or do we try to keep every human being that we can at an arm's length distance? Keep Just kind of stay away from me. Don't get in my business. I won't get in your business. I'll smile and wave. You smile and wave. Just stay away. It's hard to have compassion when you're always at a distance to people. Now, nowadays we can have compassion even through text messaging. Yes, we can send a text message and encourage, but we still have to have some vulnerability on our side. And here was a man that he took his bandages, his oil, his wine, his money, his beast, everything to show compassion to this man that had a need. Now, if I were to ask you at the beginning of this story when we're reading, and if I were to say to you which one of these three had the best opportunity to make a difference, we probably would say one of those priests of the Levites. I mean, they they had the best opportunity. They were fellow, they were citizens of the same country, same race, everything. They could have just helped. They could have done whatever, but they didn't. They chose not to. And the purpose of this parable for Jesus was to to kind of get at this guy that was trying to tempt him and to show this man who the guilty party was. But the secondary lesson in this, no doubt, is that word compassion. Love and sorrow come together. And I wonder about in your lives, is there love for people that's willing to sacrifice? Is there a sorrow in your heart? Do we care at all that people are hurting? Do we care at all that people are dying on their way to hell? Do we care at all that people are backslidden and out of church? Do we care at all about anyone around us? Now, I kind of feel like when I'm teaching this lesson, sometimes I'm teaching it to myself because there are times when I, I, I will jokingly say, I don't remember how I word it, but I'll just say something about humans. I'll say humans in general are just messed up or something to that effect. And with the idea of if I could just, maybe my wife and I in the house, no other humans, we'd probably just be fine. But is that well God established for Christians to be? No. There are introverts, there are extroverts, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to have compassion. So my question today, this week for you and really for me is, who are we being a neighbor to? Are we being a neighbor to our actual neighbors? Do the people that we work with see us as compassionate individuals? Is our compassion to others making a difference? Or are we holding too too firmly on our things? Our bandages, they're my bandages, no one else's. It's my oil, no one else's. It's my money, no one else's. This is my beast, you figure it out. We can become a very selfish society. And some of it's because we see so many people taking advantage of free stuff today. And we get mad about it. We get upset about it. 
But it doesn't mean that we don't have compassion. And when we have compassion on others, the Bible says that compassion makes a difference. There are some that you can save, as the next verse says, by fear. When they're fearful. When I got saved, I was fearful. Hearing about hell, hearing about thinking about dying, pulled my soul from hell. But do you know, compassion will also open the door. So just here in a few minutes, you're going to have a chance to show compassion. There's going to be, probably in a few minutes, you're going to walk in, you're going to sit down, and everybody knows where you're going to sit probably, right? We all know where we're going to sit. We all go basically the same spot. There's a few of you that are everywhere, but we all know where we're going to sit. And we all know each other by face. Like, I can look out and see you, and I'll know who you are. I'm going to be up there leading singing, I'll see you. But there's going to probably be some people that walk in today that this is their first time. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to walk in that door, and it's going to be like, oh, all these people. Where do I sit? Who do I know? Real quick, you're scanning to see who do I know. Where do I sit? What do I do? Nerves, anxiety. Have you ever walked into a church before? Oh, oh yeah. It's I've on vacation before. I've walked in, and one time I remember walking in to visit a church, and I had, I had an ear problem going on, and my ear was like filled with water, so you just you can't hear real well. And I walked into this church, and they were trying to talk to me, and I couldn't hardly hear, and I just felt awkward. I just wanted to turn around and walk out of that place. But there's going to be people walking in just a little bit. And they're going to be thinking, who's here? Who's weird? Who's not? Where do I sit? Am I sitting in someone's seat? And it's just an opportunity, just a simple handshake. Maybe an act of compassion that breaks down a wall. My, my, my challenge for us as a class is when we leave here, whether it be immediate or throughout our, this week and throughout our lives, let's be men and women of compassion. Let's pray.